Hi, everyone. You're tuning in to episode 10 of Making Friends. Welcome to Making Friends. I'm your host, Mark McGark. You can find me on Twitter at Markedly. Today, our guest is Adam Browd, who can be found at Adam Browd on Twitter. Uh, I forgot to mention last week when we had the fantastic Morgan Mayfield on the podcast, I don't think I gave her handle. She is at house underscore feminist. Definitely check her out. Uh, Yeah, and today I'm talking to Adam, who is a really cool dude. Uh, this one went super long, so uh, what's going on is I'm going to cut it into two parts. You're listening today to part one, which is kind of like just a conversation that he and I had. And then part two, which will be released next week, is going to be Adam answering your questions. And that's going to be another long one. That's going to be another hour. So look forward to that. Our sponsor today, once again, is Bagels, the most perfect food. During the past few weeks, I've been giving you some special recipes from bagels. Today, we're going to give you some lunch recipes. So let's see what's in the bin today. Okay, our lunch recipes today are bagel salad and bagel sandwich. Let's start with bagel salad. Here's what you have to do. Okay, you're going to take a few everything bagels and you're going to shred them. Okay, you're going to shred those bagels over a large salad bowl. And that's it. Because uh, everything bagels are already loaded with toppings, you you don't even need to add any extras on your salad. Just try it with ranch dressing. And pro tip, use food dye to color your bagels green. Anything green is a vegetable. The next recipe is bagel sandwich. Uh, If you're listening to this, uh, you're probably already using bagels as your bread for your sandwiches, but why stop there? Since uh, slice a bagel into thin strips and layer it on top of pastrami as a cheese replacement. Stab an olive with a toothpick and stick it on top of your sandwich. Then rip the olive off and replace it with three bagels. And that's your bagel sandwich. So thanks once again, Bagels, for sponsoring. You've been very, very good to me. So here's Adam Browd. Make sure you check him out. Uh, Blow up his fave star. Compliment him on his beard. Uh, interact with him online. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. Uh, and here he is, Adam Brett. I like your shirt. It's kind of flowery. Thank you. It's very flowery, but it's black and white and flowery. Um, I think that's to promote diversity. I don't know why. It does what? Promotes diversity. I'm not exactly sure why it's black and white. What? Are you just making that up, or is that like a tag on the shirt? This shirt promotes mm. diversity. Uh, my mom actually, she used to talk about. That's a line from her. Her favorite pictures were of flowers that were in black and white. Okay. And she used to say, it promotes diversity within flowers. So it was a callback <laughs> to something my mom said as a kid. I get it now. It's a joke. So there you go. Yeah. That's good. I have lots yeah. of pictures of flowers in my bedroom, but they're all in color. Oh, you yeah. Can I see can see one right behind you. Those yeah. are nice. And a typewriter. You're a fancy man. Yeah. I've been waiting for somebody to notice that typewriter. Nobody ever does. 
Oh, really? Yeah, no, or they don't say anything about it. I guess they're not impressed. But you or did, their overwhelming you're a jealousy. Maybe they're just overwhelming jealousy made it so that they refuse to comment. Sure, yeah. yeah. They can't even come up with the words. Exactly. I combed my hair really well today because I wanted to be the exact mirror image of you. Oh, perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to tell where I stop and where you begin in this. I know. <laughs> it's like I'm looking into my bedroom mirror. Where I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh, there's the handsome reflection of me. It's, yeah, it's and like we're you, making love. Like We can't tell where one ends and the other begins. Exactly. <laughs> for you, this is a bathroom mirror reflection, right? Oh, you're referencing my tweet. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. No, you're the bedroom you right. mirror reflection. You're the handsome one. You're the flawless mm. hunk. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I hope the rest of the conversation goes like this. I hope so, too. So what's, um, what's up, man? What did you do today? Uh, I'm, I mostly thought about this a lot because I'm like really excited. I really like your <laughs> podcasts. I like you as a person. I um, like you too. I love the podcast so much. I made sure and prepared with a sponsor. <laughs> You're holding a bagel. That uh-huh. looks like, uh, what is that? A cinnamon raisin? Uh, this is blueberry. Blueberry. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Another small purple fruit. Yeah. Yeah. I thought... What what better way to support the podcast than having a dip into the sponsor? I appreciate that. And hopefully a little bit of the money you spent on that bagel will come back to me. That's how yeah. sponsorships work. Yeah. How are the bagels in Utah? Not good. <laughs> you say this as you're chewing it, so I believe you 100%. No, uh, they're all right. But, like, I mean, you live out in New York, right? Oh, yeah. They're fantastic here. Yeah, exactly. I've been to New York and eaten many of your bagels. Oh. And they're fantastic. I appreciate it. They're all store-bought and just kind of mediocre. <laughs> I still eat them like every day, though. So as far as breakfast items go, How do you take pretty it? Pretty good. Uh, I, how would I prefer to take it or how do I take it? Well, okay, let's do both. Uh, so usually it's just plain because I'm Russian and I'm on the go. Um, but just saying the words that I eat a plain bagel for breakfast, one, makes me sound really boring and like the whitest person you've ever met, and then two, I can feel Mason's disappointment just like seeping through the podcast at my breakfast choices. Yeah, you can feel it already. She hasn't even listened yet, but it's already there. It's like she's just perked up with a reason to be uh disappointed in you. Her breakfast powers are just like suddenly... Accentuate. Tomorrow she's going to eat the best breakfast that she's ever had. She won't know why, and it's because she's compensating for my choices. <laughs> okay. She's making up for what you're lacking. Exactly. Do you toast um, it when you're on the go, or you just grab it no, from that plastic bag? I just grab it from the plastic bag. <laughs> you are, uh, okay. Uh, that's <laughs> depressing, but... It's, <laughs> if you, it's not a good decision. If These you, aren't my proud moments. <laughs> And you're still eating it. Is that a plain one right now? Is that, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course it is. It is. <laughs> Don't choke. <laughs> uh, How would you take it if you had a moment and you could prepare it as you pleased? So my choice when I go to New York and I order myself a fancy bagel is always that traditional, like, uh, lox with cream cheese and stuff. And that's, oh, that's the yeah. good stuff. Yeah, that, I've never had lox because I... Before I moved to New York, I was a vegetarian, and then I just, oh, okay. I haven't had fish in lots of many years, so I have, I've oh. never had, but I hear that's a 
delicious way to have a bagel. I'm a fan. I'm originally from Oregon, mm. so like the idea of there being salmon available to eat but not eating it is like they'll they'll prosecute you or something. <laughs> yeah, so. one of those coastal cities where the fish is exquisite. Lox mm-hmm. is the lox is its own type of fish, though, right? That's not like a breed of salmon or. I don't know what lox I th- is. I, uh, I think it's a, a preparation type of salmon. Oh, okay. I think. Okay. Like how bacon is a certain preparation of pork. Yeah, so, you know, all you listeners out there, feel free to comment on all the ways that we're wrong. Yes, please let us know what lox truly is. And uh, insult us as much as you please as well. <laughs> this is really just a stage thing. Like, we're, we're, we're starting off with, like, the really grabby content of plain bagels and lox. <laughs> this is and... what the people are tuning in for. Yeah, hoping them. that down the road, you know, we'll we'll probably slow down, but we're really digging our claws into this. Yeah, well, uh, I thought we'd start with the hard-hitting topics like that, and then gradually we'll get into the mundane topics. <laughs> so I tried to get you to perfect. do this earlier. This is an 8 o'clock taping for me, 6 o'clock for you. This is the latest I've ever yes. done it. I feel like a real adult, or I feel like a 20-something again. I feel awful, honestly. I, like, <laughs> wanted to be able to do it earlier because Friday night at 8 o'clock, I want to talk to you, but I don't expect you to want to talk to me. So this is what I want to do. Yeah, so know. now it's like we're hanging out. Like, we're, we're going out to a place like friends would do, and we're talking. Yeah, yeah. Except we're nice. actually staying in and staring at our computers. Like friends do. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what we're professionals at. Mm-hmm. What, what, you said you were working, though, and that's why you couldn't do it. Oh, I was just at work. Yeah. I work <laughs> but at a, not working. Uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so I have a job that's, um, it's not the most exciting of careers. So I work in HR at uh, a mountain resort, which is cool. Hmm. Like, it's a really cool place. But it's not, it's like the most boring job in a really cool place. Okay. So, I get to like ski for free and I get to go on these zip lines and we have musicals that perform there, but I'm in HR, so yeah. So, and sometimes there's just not as much to do. So anyway, I did work quite a bit today, I guess, but I also spent some time uh, working on classes to prepare for an MBA, so. Okay. So are you, uh, are you in grad school right now or you're, you're going to apply? What's going on there? I'm going into grad school in the fall, so I'll be going to BYU, getting my MBA. Cool. So yeah. Is that where you went yeah. to undergrad too? Brigham I did. Young? I had, a, yeah, I had a year that I went to uh, USF in Florida, and I did a, a year of a PhD in psychology, and then decided that it wasn't for me, hmm. um, and so yeah, and so I left that and decided to do an uh, MBA instead. Okay, you seem like a soulful dude, though. Um, I guess you you try it, you find out it's not for you, as far as psychology goes, therapy, I don't know, yeah. you seem like you'd have strengths in that area. Well, thanks, yeah, no, I actually really liked it. Um, my favorite job I've ever had was working in a treatment center for teenage boys, and I was one of the directors of it, and I, and I loved it, so I thought I'd do psychology, but the problem is if you do therapy, um, one, a lot of therapy is just really romanticized. For one, mm. so like the majority of people that you work with in therapy are super problematic, and there's not really much job gratitude or anything like that. Mm. I would love to say that I'm the selfless type. My my mom does therapy; um, she's a social worker, 
And so I would love to say that I'm the same type of selfless person who can just give and give and give and not expect anything in return. But it turns out I, respect, I, I expect quite a bit. Yeah, so. that's really difficult. Yeah. So uh, I couldn't do that route, So the other, and it like barely pays anything. So the other route that I wanted to, I, I thought to maybe take would be a professor, and then you can kind of do therapy as well as, um, you know, teaching and research and stuff, but... Sure, you can split your time. Yeah, and so I thought maybe I'd do that, and I gave it my all that first year with the intent of learning whether or not it was for me. And what I found out is for professors, it's like 80% research, yeah. and the other 20% is teaching and therapy and stuff. So I was just like, mm, I, don't, I, I don't mind research, it's fine, but to spend 80% of my time in a room reading things that only like me and five other people in the world care about, it just didn't seem... Gotcha. Intriguing. So yeah. Yeah, that's. So a... now I'm selling my soul to the world of business. <laughs> what did you end up getting your undergrad degree in when you dropped out it, of the um, psychology department? Um, I, I majored in psychology, minored in music. Hmm. Yeah. So you you finished with music. Um. Well, I minored in it, so I did both psychology and music. Wait, you finished your psychology degree? Yeah, yeah. So my undergrad was in psychology, oh, okay. but I had a minor in music. I say minor I in music because it um, seems more interesting. You started doing psychology, and then you dropped out of that program before you finished college. Oh, my no, mistake. I wish. I wish I was good <laughs> enough to major in music. That'd be crazy. What do you, what do you play? I, I think that you have to play piano pretty well to do music, right? Uh, I took piano lessons as a kid, and I have a keyboard that is over yonder, along with some other instruments, but my main instrument is the drums. You're a drummer? I am a drummer, yeah. How long have you been doing that? Um, I started teaching myself when I was about 15, um, but I've never really, well, I didn't have formal lessons until college, so yeah, it kind of sets me back. So it sounds like I'm probably really good, because I was drumming for a long time. <laughs> I'm definitely not really good. So. And yeah, I know that's not the, necessarily the case. I got a guitar yeah. when I was like 19, and now I'm 32, and I can still play two chords. <laughs> nice. Perfect. <laughs> Have not improved one bit. <laughs> Money well spent. So what did you, uh, yeah. you got your drums, was that because you were in a band, or your bandmates, or did you meet some guys and were like, we're starting a band, but we need a drummer, and you were uh, like, hmm, I bet I could no. fulfill that duty. The instrument that I had to pick up to do that actually was a chord again. So, what? <laughs> yeah. Was it a so Polish that, band? I wish. Uh, it was ska, so yeah. Uh, it, was, it was not Polish. Worse. But <laughs> how, how dare you deface the, the, the already tarnished reputation of ska music <laughs> more than already has been. No, ska, ska is actually super fun. It's really easy to hate on, but it's yeah, fun. For and sure. I love that they incorporate horns and accordions, I guess. I guess I can stand yeah. that. It's it's a goofy sort of music, and it was it was super fun as a teenager. So yeah, I was in high school and decided that I wanted to learn or switch over to learn an instrument. My mom always pushed us uh, to be musical, so she hmm. encouraged us to have piano lessons, and then when we got into sixth grade, we were able to switch in band to whatever instrument we wanted and my dad plays trumpet and he kind of like pressured me to play trumpet and trumpet is the worst instrument on the face of the planet <laughs> so i regret so? that oh it's so bad it's always like in your face and it takes the lead on every single thing it is it's, the lead uh, instrument 
My brothers yeah. used to play it, and I would get so annoyed because it would be so loud in our house. Yeah. And then it's, I'd go in there and be like, can you please play it softer? And then they would put <laughs> it right up to my ear and blast as loud as they could. That story encompasses all of trumpet. That is trumpet <laughs> as an instrument. Yeah. That's a definitive trumpet personality. Exactly. So I played that for a little bit, and then when I was a teenager, she was like, I always was surprised she didn't choose something that seemed more you, like guitar or drums or something. Mm. And I was like, I could pick an instrument we don't already have. And then her and my dad <laughs> got in a fight because she found out that he had pressured me into playing trumpet. And then ah. it all came out, and I got a drum set. And so I okay. learned that way. But I've always been in bands and stuff. I'm unfortunately not currently, but yeah, I've oh. usually been in bands. Well, we got to get you in one. If anybody's listening yeah. in the greater Utah area... Please yeah. employ Adam in your band. He's a, uh, and people can listen to my old band. We have uh, two albums that are up online for for free, free ninety five. So free ninety five. Crazy, crazy old Maurice was the name of my latest band. M a u r i c e. Nailed it. Nailed it. I know how to spell Maurice, Adam. That's one of my strengths. Very good. Have you always been able to spell Maurice? No, or did like no, some guys get a group together coming. and they were like, "Hey, we really need one person who can spell this word." Maybe it was like a spelling bee group in your high school. Um, I can't remember exactly what my Maurice breakthrough was. I'm sorry to disappoint oh, okay. you, but I remember there was a day when I didn't know how to spell it, and then at the end of that day, guess what? I knew how to spell it. Wow. Yeah. That's a real comeback kid story. I like that. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so you were just included on a funnier die list. Congratulations. Thank you. You were the It's apparently two weeks in a row, which is super exciting. Oh, I, I didn't... didn't know that I made last week's. Yeah, but what I, was your I tweet did. last week? Um it's my biggest tweet that I've ever had. Which um, I couldn't about... see. I was looking at your fave star, but that one was covered up because they don't show the number one unless you have an account. Yeah. yeah, unless you pay thirty bucks to see someone else's tweet. No, I'm not doing that. Totally understandable. Um, it's, uh, what is it? It's actually a sequel to a different tweet I wrote, which I just, yeah. The one Tolstoy? Favorite... Mm-hmm. So that's one of my favorite tweets I've ever written, and I was like, I want to write, like, what else happened on the state? Like, what's another stupid thing I did? And so that's where I came up with that one, which is, um, basically I asked the girl, what's your favorite date? She says... War and Peace, and I say with my mouth full of chicken McNuggets, no, you can only choose one. So there you go. <laughs> it's a really funny one. I like uh, it. That one took off quick, too, right? Yeah, I was way surprised. I've never had one obviously grow that big or grow that fast, but like three celebrities got a hold of it, I think. Oh, like who that. are they? Um, uh, Amanda, I don't remember her last name, Chimp and Socks. Chimps and Socks? That's Something not her like last that. name. No, that's her handle. Sorry. Oh, okay, is that Amanda Abington? Yes. Ah, okay. Yes, and and uh, I, I think, the guy from Blink One Eighty Two. Mark Hoppus. I think he did, and someone else who I can't remember now. All right, damn and, good. And you, you're the third. Oh, <laughs> you sweet man. Are you comfortable, <laughs> by the way? You seem to be lounging pretty hard there. Oh, yeah, this means that I'm comfortable with you. Okay. As I, you'll notice that by the end of this, I'll probably be completely laid down. I'll be nestled up under my covers with you right next to me, spooning the computer. It'll be a great interview. I would love so. to be spooned by you, virtually. Oh, 
for the listener, Adam is about three quarters of the way off the screen now because he's lounging so hard in his bed. <laughs> the tweet that you were referring to, I would love to read it if you'll let me. The, the, Please. The Tolstoy one. Yeah, yeah. All right, so it says, I, I guess it's like a date scenario, and it says, her. I love Tolstoy's take on the human moral struggle, me trying to impress. See, I prefer Tolstoy E3, where Woody was in the trash compactor. <laughs> That's a good one, because you think he's a classic novel with a movie? Funny stuff. I'm an idiot. <laughs> we all know this to be true. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh but the one you did today that i saw on that list or the one that they picked up today for funnier die 27 goodest tweets that we saw this week or scrolled past whatever their language is it says after years of warnings the world is plunged into a freezing hellscape as cheryl crow finally manages to soak up the sun yeah. what's the story behind that tweet where'd that come from um I was, where, where were we? We were driving back from uh, Idaho, my wife and I, and we had stopped at a gas station, and Sheryl Crow's Soak Up the Sun played. And I remember when that song came out as a kid, and I was like, this is an extremely mediocre song to begin <laughs> with. Like, it has no emotion. So it just came on, and I was like, this is the worst song, and literally all it's about is, I like to be outside. That's so I just thought... That's that's literally it. And so I was like, I should make a joke about this. So I, I did the little thing that people do and just made it literal. So there you go. Yes, and you turned it into a dystopian fantasy. Yeah. That's great. I, I, I did debate quite a bit about should it be freezing hellscape or hellish freezescape. And I don't think a freezescape is a thing. You, uh, freezing hellscape. That's what you chose. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when that song came out. That was like, Sheryl Crow was kind of like a 90s icon when music mm. was more, I guess it was like music, pop music went through an honest phase. You had Alanis Morissette and you had Sheryl Crow and she was singing about some things that were like a little more real to life, like true to life, I suppose. Yeah. And then this song was on her album where she kind of switched styles. And yeah. it was like, oh, it's just, it's just selling out. She's singing about getting a tan or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So. Yep, that's when Cheryl, Cheryl Crow went downhill. But there, yeah, and there are so many other songs that are all honest and, and great like that from the 90s that now you listen to them and you're like, oh, that is, that is embarrassingly heartfelt and angsty. Yeah, and, uh, yeah some of them soak up too earnest. Yeah, and Soak Up the Sun, that doesn't make that list. It's just a terrible <laughs> song that plays in gas stations, apparently. So. Yeah. Well, good for Cheryl Crow. Hopefully you're making some bucks off of that. Hopefully you can finally afford that tan. Hopefully you can, yeah. Cheryl Crow, we're, we're rooting for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you were, you were traveling to Idaho. You've been on some road trips lately, right? Yeah, I'm going to Oregon um, uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow? What's, mm -hmm. what's with all this traveling? Uh, mostly just family stuff. Um, well, I guess this next one isn't family stuff. A uh, high school friend is getting married. So I'm driving out to Oregon to go to the wedding. And my wife has never seen Medford, Oregon, which is where I'm from. So we're going to, I'm going to show her my hometown and we're going to go up to Portland for just a few days. And, uh, yeah, this last one, I went up, um, north to Idaho for a baby blessing. So, yeah, my youngest sister birthed a child 
and and it was blessed in church, and I was a part of that, so it was nice. Well, congratulations, Uncle Adam. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, okay, you're going to Oregon with your girlfriend. You're going to see a wedding. Wife. What, oh, I'm sorry, your wife. Yeah, my mistake. What, super uh, married. Super married. Yeah. What's, what's Medford, Oregon like? Is that a coastal city? No. Um, like 80% of... Oregon's population resides on the I-5, which isn't too far from the coast. So the coach, the coast is definitely approachable, but um, <laughs> it's not right there on the coast. So um, Medford is like, I don't know, it's kind of industrial. It's like a working city. There are some close-by towns, like there's a town called Jacksonville, which is a historical city, which is really pretty, okay. or Ashland, which is a very artsy town, which has like a local film festival and all this sort of stuff but Medford's like the the working class the, yeah the city where most people work in okay in and then you can Oregon. bounce around to one of those other towns depending on your pleasure yeah we'll go to Jacksonville and Ashland and we'll go to Crater Lake and see some waterfalls and all sorts of good stuff that sounds great did you have yeah. a, a nature-filled childhood growing up in Oregon uh as a teenager especially like there was a summer that usually about at least three times a week me and a friend of mine would just like go drive in any direction and we'd just drive until we found a waterfall or we'd look up where a waterfall is but a lot of times we just kind of drive until we could find some sort of water fixture and then we'd go swim and play around and find wild blackberries and do it again <laughs> a couple days later what a childhood how idyllic yeah i, I miss it a lot so it's Oregon exciting to show my wife beautiful like I, I go there when I can. I've been there twice, and I like I just I love it so much. Okay. So I've been to Portland, Portland? twice. Okay. Yeah, and uh, each both times that I went, I drove from Portland to the coast, and oh, cool. it's it's amazing. Once you get out of the city, it's just like instantly you're in redwoods. And yeah. I remember doing kind of like what you said, just like driving in any direction, and you can mm -hmm. uh, I would like I just like pulled off at an exit. And I was immersed in like a meadow, like a shadowy meadow with a brook running through it. It was yeah. incredible. Like, and the yeah. air is like fresh and crisp. Right. I have nothing yeah, bad to say about it. I I miss it so much. My wife and I want to end back, end up back there eventually. But yeah, it's gorgeous. And Oregonians don't believe in like the separation of nature and people for the most part. So like all the towns are just filled with trees and rivers and all sorts of great stuff so yeah so i miss it quite a bit it's a beautiful place that sounds lovely did you move out because of college yeah so so i actually i guess i should say as a young child i lived in ohio which mm. i guess my childhood was nature filled there as well because we lived way out in the country on like three and a half acres and lived right next to a cemetery that we played in all the time so that was nice hmm. um and just a lot of farmland and all sorts of stuff. Um, but then as a, when I was 13, we moved to Oregon. Lived there until I was 19, and my family moved back to Ohio. And I went with them because I was just about to leave on a mission for my church. And then I went to Brazil for two years, came back to Ohio, went to school in Utah, and haven't lived in Oregon since I was 19. So it's been a long time, about a decade. And your parents moved back to Oregon? So my mom now lives in Oregon. My parents are divorced, mm. and my dad... I don't know where my dad lives, honestly. I think he lives in Ohio. <laughs> He's not very forthcoming about it, so I don't really know. So I'm guessing you don't visit your dad very often. 
I yeah, I've actually talked to my wife. I'm like, I feel like there's gonna be a day where I'm just gonna show up in Ohio because he. Every time I ask, I'm like, so you're still living in the old house, right? And he responds by saying things like, well, where else would I be? <laughs> That's like, not a definitive answer. That's exactly. a dodge. Yeah. And my dad, like, in the divorce, my dad's not that great of a guy, but he was just, like, really intent on getting that house. But he, he married this lady who lived in a different state, like, pretty soon after my parents got a divorce. Mm. And... And so it's always been a little unclear. And he travels a lot for work because he's a truck driver. So it's not entirely clear, like, are they living in that other state? Did he just kind of, like, screw my mom out of the house in Ohio and keep it? So, yeah, I feel like one time I'm going to, like, visit Ohio. And I'm just going to be like, hey, Dad, I'm here. Where are you at? And he's like, where do you you think I'll be? And it'll be, like, three days of him just not telling me where he's at. So... So I think he lives in Ohio, but my mom lives in Oregon. Okay. Yeah, from, from zero to 13 in Ohio? Is that is that about right for you? Yeah. Yeah, I was born in Washington, but pretty soon after I was born, we moved to Ohio. Oh, okay. I was born in Ohio, but we moved out when I was like two and a half or three, so I don't have any memory of it. I was born oh, in okay. Cleveland. Nice. Yeah. Not really. Ohio's a terrible place, but... <laughs> yeah, you got, your, you, got, uh, you got to develop there quite a bit if you live till 13 and then you move to Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of state pride in Ohio, but I am unfortunately not one of those people. I'm not an Ohio fan. No? It's, You're not, no. Even, not even when it comes to basketball? No. Uh, no I, no I only LeBron watch really, in your blood? I only watch college sports if I watch sports. So, not so much. Ohio has a lot in it, which is neat. So you can definitely visit Ohio and go around and see a lot. It's just... I don't know, you know how each state has, like, their basic personality that goes with it, it feels like, for the most part? Yeah, but some of those Midwestern states are kind of the same. I don't know if yeah. I would lump Ohio into that, but I don't know if I can say every state has its own personality. Oh, well, I would. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's use your at hypothesis, least, then. Yeah, at least the personality that I mostly encountered while in Ohio, I just it just didn't fit well with who I am, so I prefer to work. And, yeah. So. Yeah, you probably felt free and new and independent when you moved to Oregon. Yeah, Oregon's like this magical land where you can, like, as long as you're being authentic to who you are, people are very supportive. So you could be like, I, I want to I want to start a Fortune 500 company based around athletic shoe wear of Nike. And they're like, that's fantastic. Or you could be like, I, wanna, I want to make uh, artisanal harpsichords. And people are like, that's perfect. That's what you need to do. <laughs> so, like, people are just supportive regardless of what their own opinion is. That's so really, really nice, because I like that about New York, where you meet a lot of people, and they're kind of making their lives not not necessarily w- according to the program of a classic yeah. life. It's not necessarily like, I'm going to be a lawyer, or I'm going to be a chef. Like, there are definitely lots of those here, but there are other people who are like, I'm going to make my own path however I see fit, and I'm going to yeah. let my personality forge it for me. But the drawback in New York is that it's super expensive, so a lot of these yeah. dreams don't take off. Maybe in I Oregon, was... if those people, including myself, move there, maybe we can yeah, afford yeah. to follow our aspirations. I think the most telling part of what you just said, that New York is like that, is that one of like the stable, cliche jobs you gave was a chef. Yeah. Like, a lawyer or a chef. Like, in <laughs> most states, like a chef, I think if someone's like, I want to be a chef, they're like, a chef? You want to work at Denny's for the rest of your life or something like that? Like, there's no concept of, like, really opening a restaurant. It seems crazy to a lot of people, you know? I guess so. 
Yeah, but I would lump any, I would lump all the chefs together, whether you're high end or more of a working class chef, flipping things mm. at Denny's. See, I wouldn't do that. I would, I would give all states one personality, <laughs> but I would never do that to chefs. <laughs> Brazil for two years. What's that about? Yep, that was my Mormon mission. Not many people know this about me online, but I am Mormon. I think everybody so. knows that about you. I think everybody knows <laughs> as well. Most of my followers are probably Mormon. And then pretty quick it comes up as soon as... Because, you know, drinking is a friendly thing to do with friends and talk about. So it usually happens that way where people are like, I have a beer. And I'm like, I have a juice. And people are like, do you not drink? Why not? Mm-hmm. Then so, you have to explain your choices. Yeah. And then I have to explain my choices and commit them to baptism a few <laughs> weeks later. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, it's holy water. And you throw it on them. That's what I'm drinking. You're Mormon now, too. And then you take their beer and you smash it. Purified inside and out. I keep squirt guns with me at all times, just in case people run from it. (laughs) That's the way the Mormons do. That's how we do it. So I didn't know. You had a two-year mission? Yeah, two years. That seems excessive, buddy. That's how it works. That's how the Mormons are. Two years. That's the standard. For guys. For girls, the standard is a year and a half. It's a little shorter. I don't know why. Hmm. And that's mandatory in the Mormon religion? No, it's optional. For uh, for guys, it's it's frowned upon if you don't go. Right. But people are becoming more understanding with that. So it's really it's more of like a social stigma if you don't go. Yeah, people for are, sure. Adam didn't I, do it. Yeah, exactly. I never had that issue because I always really wanted to go on a mission. Hmm. But not everybody's like that, and I can understand that. Were you born Mormon, or did you convert at some point? Uh, my family converted, yeah, when I was really young. So I don't really have any memories of not being Mormon. Well, I have memories of not being Mormon, I guess. But I don't remember in those memories, hey, we're not Mormon. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm. But as far as all my religious memories go, I've always been Mormon. So. My mom converted as a teenager, but then didn't really attend church for a long time. And then my dad got interested in the Mormon church after they'd gotten married and after a couple of years. And then my mom came back to church and all that. Did you so. ever, because it was kind of hoisted upon you at a young age, did you ever have a, a time in your life where you actively chose it for yourself? Like you're an adult now and you make your own decisions. So there must have been a moment where you were like, you know, I am Mormon and I'm going to stick with this. This is, this is my identity and this makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've always really liked religion for the most part. Like I don't like some of the things that have happened because of religion, obviously. I don't think anyone's like 100% like, woo, we've murdered a lot of people. Like no, one's, <laughs> no, one's a, no one likes that part of religion, obviously. But um, as far as Mormonism goes, like I've always enjoyed being... Mormon, and I've always read a lot about my religion and liked most of what I read. Um, so I, I feel like I always, like I, I pretty much always felt like it was a choice. I never had those weeks where it was like, uh, the old parents dra- dragging me to church. Like, I was probably more religious than my parents were at certain times in my life. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. Um, but then I would say, like, after my mission, there was like a little point in time that I went through my faith crisis, which is a pretty normal thing for most religious people. And uh, it's probably fair to say that I'm like still kind of in the middle of it to a certain extent. But 
I yeah, like I said, I enjoy religion. I like the concept of God. So yeah, if we if we all just get to choose what perspective we're going to have during our short time here, I like the concept that we're all always going to always be friends. So. <laughs> yeah, just maybe naive, but I don't know. I like it. Why not embrace that? There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And in some of our conversations that we've had in the past, you seem not necessarily critical, but like more kind of like realistic about it. Kind of like you. Uh, you approach it with an intellectual point of view, or, or you put some reason on it uh, in a way that's, that can, that shows that you've thought about it and you you have your own perspective about it. Thanks. Yeah, that was that was like a huge part of um, my own personal faith crisis. Is I think up until kind of my mission, the way I usually word it is um, I thought I always had a relationship with God, but I had a relationship with rules, is really what it was. So I had read a lot of books on the doctrine, and I knew a lot of facts, and all sorts of, like, facts that were listed in one shape or form, and so I, like, really dwelled on this knowledge and, like, what was right and what was wrong. And being in Brazil actually helped open my eyes to, um, like, we're all, like, no one knows what the heck they're doing at any point in time. Like, we're all just guessing day to day as to what yeah. we think is right. I sure as hell but, don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing. I can't say with 100% guarantee, even a 90% guarantee, probably even 80% guarantee that anything that I do is like absolutely for sure correct or the best thing for me at that one point in time. Um, but we're all trying to do whatever that is, I think, for the most part. Most people right. are actively trying to choose good things. And so... Um, after that, I just realized, like, I feel like that's, if, if God is real, that's probably how he sees people, Mm. is trying to do good and wants them to do the best that they can. Yeah. And so a big part of redefining how I see religion is recognizing, like, it's not about religion being right all the time. A lot of times religion is wrong because if God is real, he's dealing with people who have tried to do what they thought was right but a lot of times they were very much so off the mark right if that makes sense it does make sense and so the way that you live your life then is that you actively try to make good choices and you're aware of that yeah and it also means like when i look at historical things like um just within my own religion where there's been issues with race for instance uh, i think it could be really tempting for people to try to make a good excuse for the religion and be like no i'm sure there was a great reason why this happened and I feel like it's a lot easier for me to just be like, or maybe, this is crazy, maybe white people have been racist in the past. <laughs> <laughs> maybe even currently. There's Who knows? A, there's a tiny bit of evidence to support that. Yeah? This might sound crazy. <laughs> so yeah, so with that, and I'm like, and I feel like that's an okay to, thing to recognize within religion, like there has been mistakes made. Right. Do you, uh, do you talk at your church? Are, are you uh, one of the authorities where you go? So, um, Mormon churches are kind of different in that they have what's called a lay clergy. So, like, uh, the the guy in charge of, of a ward, or at least, like, a meeting area in time, the bishop, even that guy isn't paid by the church. He's, he has a normal job and stuff. And so all the other roles within the church are filled by normal people. So, um, yeah, so I've had callings my whole life, and... We instead of having like a pastor give a sermon, uh, people from the from the ward from the the community they give talks instead. So mm. it's always just a normal person from the group giving a talk. 
I like that. It's like power to the people. Yeah, it's got a, it's got its good parts and its bad parts. Like it's good because it encourages, I think, members to push themselves and learn a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's bad because it can one be really boring because you have a lot of people who are not necessarily trained speakers who are speaking, <laughs> so that can be difficult. And then there's also like social norms that some sometimes get involved with the talks. So I think if you have a pastor, like a pastor's role is to be the leader. And when you have a leader, you oftentimes have someone who's pushing you to consider something more. Right. But if everyone in the group has an equal voice, a lot of times people kind of digress to what they think the average is, not even what the average belief is, mm -hmm. but what they think the average belief is, which for Mormonism I think is usually a more conservative belief than actually exists within the group. So sometimes it can maybe be um, a bad thing because of that. But so either way, is it I, like I like a, it for the most part. Is it like a lecture, or is it more like discussions where somebody stands up and talks and then everybody gets a chance to respond? So um, Mormon Church is also three hours long. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try being a missionary in Brazil and telling people that. Like, you should come hang out with us for, <laughs> for three, three hours, hours and talk about Jesus. And people are like, uh, I know I said I love Jesus, but maybe I just like Jesus. <laughs> so... Uh, but yeah, so the first hour is like a kind of a lecture part that is given. There's songs intermittently uh, given as well, but it's usually like three speakers. And then the second hour is instruction based off of um, the scriptures. So we're all reading from the same part, and it's a classroom-type discussion. Okay. And then the third hour is separated into men and women, and it's also like a classroom discussion-type thing. Interesting. Yeah, I grew up Catholic, yeah. which is very regimented, and it's sort yeah. of like more of a call-and-response religion, or sort of like a follow-the-steps right. religion, so I'm not familiar with that kind of uh, church lifestyle yeah. that you're describing. Yeah, but Catholic church is cool. I've been quite a few times, and everything's so, I don't know, is so ornate and seems to be done with such purpose. Like when you're in a Mormon church, you get a lot of people who are up there and not trained speakers, so they'll be saying a lot of ums, and so, mm -hmm. like, if we read here, and it's kind of paused and stuff, uh, which has its own interesting quality to it, right? You feel like someone is speaking uh, from an honest place, but it's always interesting to me going to any Catholic church to see all the, uh, I want to say pomp and circumstance, but that makes it sound like I'm criticizing. I don't want to do that. I think that's fair. No, it's kind of theatrical, you know? Yeah. It's like uh, costumes and written lines that you read through. Yeah. I think the, yeah, yeah. the the biggest potential at the Catholic service is the homily, which is after the priest does the reading, when he kind of explains what he thinks it's about and oh, how okay. we can apply that to our lives. Yeah. So it sounds like the Mormon religion offers more of that homily type approach, and you get to debate it just a tad. Yeah. Is, and your wife is Mormon too, right? She is, yeah. When did you meet she her? Goes, um, I met her in college. We were both working at the same place. So we were working at this plasma donation center. I was working in the lab, and she was working as a phlebotomist. And I saw her stabbing people up, and I was like, I want that in my life for the rest of my life. So Penetrate my heart. Yeah. Actually, the worst, um, my favorite way and her least favorite way that I explain how we met is because since she was a phlebotomist, she used to pass the plasma through a window to me in the lab, and I would have to process the plasma. Mm -hmm. So when people ask how we met, 
Sometimes I like to say through an exchange of bodily fluids. That's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> it sounds even worse than it is. Exactly. It's just the worst explanation. <laughs> it's already a, a gross thing that we were just exchanging so, some stranger's plasma. So before you guys had a relationship and she was handing the packets of plasma over to you and you mm -hmm. started to develop a crush on her, were there times yeah. when she would hand you a packet of blood and you would grab it and your hand would just like, just slightly graze her fingers <laughs> for that human contact? <laughs> Uh, not quite, although she, w she would uh, come into the lab purposely to like fill stuff out so that we could kind of hang out just for a little bit and stuff. When we first met, I was actually dating someone. Um, yeah, someone who I was pretty serious with, so I thought. And then her parents, I met her parents. I actually met them once before we were dating, and they liked me quite a bit because I think they thought I was a bit of a charity case. Um, <laughs> But then when I started dating their daughter, they were like, oh, no, this is not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you were good when you were not going to be a permanent fixture of our lives. Exactly. So I started, I was dating this girl, and her parents were, yeah, just very intense. They went so far as, so she bought me a BYU hat, this girl I was dating. Okay. And um, it was a flat brim hat. And I'd planned on bending it just because I'm not a flat brim type person. I'm with you. But, but they saw that, and after I left, apparently, her dad said, You can't date this boy. He's a gangster thug. <laughs> because you bent your hat? Because I, she, had bought, she had bought me a flat brim hat. And a flat brim hat equated to being a gangster thug in his mind. So, And I'm not very gangster thuggy. We just talked about, you know, black and white floral shirt. I, it's just not my style. Okay, so the dad ruined it. The dad yeah. ruined that relationship. But did he also create the relationship I now have with my wife? Okay. No, he did not. He was just a <laughs> terrible person. <laughs> you set me up. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, I was dating that girl. We, like, broke up and... It was kind of this weird uh, psychological jujitsu I was trying to do in my mind, where I was like, okay, I work with Lindsay, who's my wife. Mm -hmm. Lindsay's very cute. I'm broken up with this girl, but I feel like I should be with that girl, and we should just push through, even though her parents are the worst people that I've ever met. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out on a date with Lindsay, and I'm going to just ask her to do something that I like to do. And uh, we're not going to click, and it's going to be terrible, and it'll be a good reminder that like who I'm supposed to be with is this other person. Okay. And then uh, I went on a date with Lindsay, and we went uh, Latin dancing, and we hit it off, and it was the greatest date I'd ever been on. And uh, and I kissed her at the end, and I was like, I like this one much more. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. Oh, my heart is swelling. That's the cutest story. It was great. Also, so, that's a and, bold move to go dancing on the first date. It was a weird phase in my life that I really enjoyed dancing. And that probably sounds strange for some people where I was like, I'm going to do just stuff I like, like dancing, <laughs> as if girls are going to be like, no. But I think, I think there's a stereotype out there that for some reason women would like dancing more than men. But I think mm -hmm. for the most part, most people are uncomfortable dancing. I it am, seems like. Yeah, I'm in that category. Yeah, and me too now. I've let it slide quite a bit. But at the time, I used to go Latin dancing almost weekly. So. Okay. 
I think like, I feel like it's important too before you get in a relationship that's going to last for a long time and this one with Lindsay hopefully it's going to last for the rest of your lives I feel like it's important to have been in a serious relationship and been through the ups and downs so you can learn from them learn what kind of a person you are and how to navigate that kind of stuff like even though the one that you're in now I'm sure is much richer and deeper and you've been through many more ups and downs than you have with that one person it's sort of like uh, foundational to who you are in a relationship it's like you you can see what's right you can see what's wrong you can see what to do if you're with a person you didn't like you can see what not to do you know I think these are all very important things to take in, into consideration yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, the girl I dated before Lindsay wasn't even the most serious relationship I think that I had been in, probably. Um, and Lindsay, she'd been in a serious relationship before. And I, and I would add, I would definitely agree with what you said, and I would add another core reason people need to do that is people need to know how how they should be treated. Because I think right. in a lot of past relationships, yes. they don't Thank work you out. For because that. Yeah, because either one person doesn't treat the other as good as they should, or, or the opposite. Sometimes... Um, I know I myself I've been in relationships with with girls who I just I wasn't feeling it and I was the first one who wasn't mm -hmm. and so there was that point in time where I wasn't treating her as well as she deserved to be treated because we all deserve love and I've had that happen to me as well where I've been dating girls and they were the ones who did not feel it and there was this uncomfortability and this feeling of, of distrust even though there was a lot of trust from my side and so I think it, it also teaches people how to give and receive trust. Yeah, definitely. Relationships are hard, you know, and like especially those that are doomed to fail, like the ones you're describing, yeah. where one person realizes before it's ended that it's not, you know, maybe this isn't the person for me. But yeah. that feeling often comes way before you're able to find the words to articulate it or way before you can agree with it intellectually as well as what's sure. happening in your heart, you know. So yeah. I think that's what causes a lot of damage in a relationship is the heart or the brain catching up to the heart. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Look at how poetic you are. I love it. We're doing this together, buddy. <laughs> Put me down as co-author. Thank you. Okay, let me ask. Let me throw an off-the-wall question here to lighten things up a little bit. What's, oh, sure. What is the worst hairstyle that you've ever had? Ooh. Um, okay. So there was a there was a church activity as a teenager, <laughs> where for whatever reason. Um, one of the, the guys in charge of the young men's group. So we have our youth group, but there's also like the young men's and young women's. Okay. Them. And for whatever reason, they decided to make a, a deal with the young women that the young women wanted to learn how to cut hair. So they would learn how to cut hair by practicing on the young men. Okay. And I don't know why they decided that this was a good idea because so anyway I went into it and I knew that it was going to be awful because it's the first time someone's going to learn how to cut hair right yeah. it's terrible very first try yeah so I requested a terrible haircut which was a mullet at the time so I, I requested a mullet so you were like I have nothing to lose I know it's going to turn out horribly exactly let me just request the worst haircut I can think of Exactly. With the plans that I would, you know, I'd give it a couple days, I'd laugh about it, then I'd go get a real haircut, because I was going to have to get a real haircut anyway. Okay. So might as well have a joke one for a little bit. <laughs> so one of my best friends at the time, Chanel Peterson, she cut my hair. It was a disgusting mullet. And <laughs> disgusting that, mullet. And that night, I kid you not, I had a nightmare 
that I was drowning in the ocean and that this helicopter came and it flew over me and I was like, no, save me. And uh, it, was, it was like a US um, Coast Guard and before they would save me, they had to identify me as an American citizen. And my parents were in the helicopter and they looked down and they were like, is that your son? And they saw my mullet and they said, no son of mine would have hair like that. And I woke up in this cold sweat and just, <gasps> and my hand went to the back of my head, feeling my mullet of shame. And I was just like, this can't happen. And so I was like stressed for the rest of the night. And uh, I skipped my first class that next morning. And I went and I went to uh, the hair salon, and as soon as I sat down, I took off my hat. And they were like, "What would you like us to do?" And I said, "You see this awful thing? She's hard to miss. Like <laughs> I'd like that fixed. She said, we'll do our best." So, so yeah, it was just a short-lived time, but <laughs> yeah, that's an incredible story. I'm so glad I asked you that because what a story to pull out of nowhere. Thank you. Yeah. So I think that one was it. Your there haircut is very handsome got a, now. You got like a oh, comb slicked over. It looks like you got some product in that sucker. Yeah, yeah. A little bit yeah. of pomade. Yeah. Yeah, I never, I never had a legitimate hairstyle all growing up. I, think, I feel like that's part of growing up, is finally getting an actual hairstyle. Right. Finding who you are hair-wise. Because yeah. what, like, 15-year-old boy do you look at and you're like, oh, he's got good hair. Not many. It's a rare thing. In New York, there are a few more. In New York City. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, not in Medford, Oregon. (laughs) I I believe that. Okay, let's go back um, to relationship stuff. Uh, How long have you been married? Uh, Five and a half years. Okay. That's that's at least as long as my longest relationship. And hopefully hopefully you're growing from here. Um, How did... Okay, here's a question for you. I wrote this down, so maybe it doesn't sound organic coming from me, but I, I really want to know, how, how did you know that it was the right thing to do, to, to get married to this person? I, I know um, that's a hard question to answer, and maybe it doesn't even have words to it. So, it, like, just, you know, whatever you can give me for this. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. You like, you, like, dug so many tunnels for me to escape from, <laughs> just with this question. You can answer it, you can not answer it, you can give me a different answer. Um, yeah, I think, I think the honest answer is uh, I, I didn't know that it was the right choice. Um, Lindsay and I didn't date for a super long time. We got married after about a year of being together, so it was pretty quick. Mm. So, like, I would be lying if, if I said that a lot of things like societal norms for Mormons is, are, is to get married pretty young. Right. And a lot of people get married in college, so I think that was part of it. Um, I, I think we both had some nerves going into it as well. Um, at the very end, I was almost, I was super convinced that she was going to say no at the altar for oh, whatever reason. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I think that was more my anxiety than anything else. But as far as, like, when I hear people describe what they mean by, like, knowing that someone's the right one for you, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I felt that until maybe two years into our marriage, two and a half. Really? Something like that. Yeah, our first year of marriage was really difficult, um, just in an adjustment. I think it's that way for a lot of people. Uh, I think it was maybe a little harder even for us. And we had really poor communication skills with each other. I, I tried to compromise on everything which, um, surprisingly, my dad, of all people, uh, gave me 
the best advice for that where he just kind of mentioned, he said, you know, not everything has to be a compromise. Sometimes people don't want 50% of what they ask for. Sometimes they want 100% of what they ask for. Mm. And you just have to love the other person enough to be willing to give them 100%. Mm-hmm. And, and that changed a lot for me where all of a sudden I was like, oh, I've been so used to compromising. Because my family has always been, uh, had a lot of discord in it. And so I was always trying to play the peacemaker of, can we bargain this way? Can we do this? And trying to negotiate with people constantly. Yeah. So um, I had to learn a lot about that as well as what it, what it meant to give someone love the, the way that they, they desire it instead of the way that you thought people would desire it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I Lindsay just a lot. Yeah, and Lindsay had a really hard time just expressing herself. So she was definitely one of those type of people who she'd, she'd be upset, but she couldn't quite put her finger on it, and she didn't want to like, talk it out because she felt like it would just make her more upset, and it would make her more upset. And being upset made it feel like she was out of control and so it was just this really hard thing where she was having a hard time expressing herself. I was having a hard time guessing at what she wanted to begin with. Um, and so, yeah, it was just really tough. So, so yeah, it was a couple years until I really felt like, oh, this person is, is definitely my best friend. And uh, no matter where I go and what I do, so long as Lindsay's with me, like, I feel like I have a place of comfort and support and that I can also give that. Because it's also important to be able to give as much as it is to receive, right? Yeah, no, it's, that's true. I think we forget that a lot. Yeah, so so I don't know. I think it was it was a ways in. But um but I think in all honesty, I think most people when they get married they kinda do that. There's a there's a bit of a point where you're like, This is the best thing I've ever had. Like I feel really good about this. Right. And but you still have to work at it a ton. Yeah, and for most, like I said, I I don't think there's most things in my life that I could say with even 80% surety. I'm like, this is the best thing for me, for sure. <laughs> and getting married was probably one of those decisions as well, which might not sound super romantic, but um, it is now that I have that assurity, I guess. And that romantic part of assurity that I have now never would have come if I hadn't taken that risk early on. Right. Yeah, so there's a lot of work you have to put into it, a lot of listening and thinking about what you have to give and what you have to take. And like you said before, the thing that really resonated with me, how you deserve to be treated and what you can give to others to help them be treated the way that they deserve it. Yeah. Do you have any advice for how to maintain a relationship that's supposed to last a lifetime or at least a long time? Um... I think the things that have been best for me and Lindsay have been, one, traveling, has been super helpful. Huh, I um, wouldn't expect you to say that. Yeah. Lindsay and I have traveled to Europe twice, which has been awesome. And I get that that's like a really, uh, I don't know, uh, privileged thing to say, because not everybody has the ability, of course, to travel. But if you can do it, I would definitely encourage you to do it. Because when you travel, uh, you become dependent on those who are are right there with you. Yeah, your immediate vicinity. Yeah, and so uh, in all of those trips and travels, like I didn't have anyone else I could relate to besides my wife, and it made us bond that much more. My wife. And you're always trying... (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. As I'm like, oh, this is why I love my wife. My wife! (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That's the dumbest thing. (laughs) <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so you have to depend on that person who's right next to you and there's no one you can relate and everything you see becomes like a personal moment with that other person. You're also placed into a lot of new and unexpected and uncomfortable positions where the only source of relief, in all honesty, is the person immediately next to you. So you have to do a lot of hard things together and you get a lot of reward and the reward only comes from that other person as well. Okay. So traveling. And then the other thing I would say, which is the advice that I usually give people, because uh, the, the church that I go to is filled with a lot of young married people. And so five years, people are like, whoa, five years. And you should be on your second marriage at this point and stuff. So, um, But I would say the second thing is have a hobby that you do that you can be supported in. Encourage the other person to have a hobby that you can support them in. And then have a hobby that you two can do together. And oh. I think that's really important. Okay. That's practical. All right, so, okay, I'm going to guess here that your own hobby is stand-up comedy. Yeah, and improv. So and I improv. Both of those. Okay, mm -hmm. what's Lindsay's hobby? So in the past, it's been, um, she does a lot of exercise-type classes. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, the most recent was she became an instructor for UJAM. What's so, that? Uh, it's like a hip-hop exercise-type thing. Okay. So, yeah, so I've been trying to be, I've tried to be really supportive in that. And what's uh, your together some, hobby? So that's the thing that's always hardest. We've tried volleyball. We did kayaking for a little bit when we lived in Florida. Um, we really want to do biking is the thing that we're, we want to do, but uh, we don't have much money, so it's tough to get bikes. So, yeah, yeah unfortunately, we're not taking our own advice right now. <laughs> All right, so that one's still in process. Yeah, so your hobby it, right now together is figuring out what your hobby's going to be <laughs> together. That's right. Once a week, we sit down for two hours and talk about the things we're not doing. So it's good. <laughs> and traveling, too, seems to be the hobby that you do together. Yeah, we do a little bit. Okay, so let's get back to stand-up. Um, how long have you been doing that? And improv. Um, let's, let's lump them together if, if you feel yeah, that's yeah. appropriate. Yeah, I definitely do. I think there's a lot of people who, like, for whatever reason, really separate those two. But I think the higher up you go, you hear more and more people say, like, no, if you're going to be good at stand-up, like, you should be good at improv and vice versa. Like, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so the first stand-up I did, I was 15 in high school. Get there's, out of town. Talent show? Yeah. No. So there's actually, in, uh, in speech and debate, in some speech and debate areas, there's something called after-dinner speaking, which is, a, they describe it as, like, a, a six-minute comical interpretation on, on one subject which is just write a six minute bit yeah right and and so i did mine um and it extended it waxed and waned depending on the group um but yeah so it was between six and 15 but uh yeah so i wrote that and an original piece and i did it for speech and debate and it went super well i performed it at a bunch of different schools for speech and debate and it was it really was just stand up like i would be in a room and there was a crowd and people would laugh uh, and I ended up going to state for it, and probably the biggest stand-up gig I've ever had <laughs> was from that. Like, I performed in front of, like, 800 high school kids doing my stand-up oh routine. My and, yeah, and I really loved it. And I did improv in high school as well, just in a club, but I didn't get more serious about it. Um, and I know just saying the words serious about improv is, like, the dorkiest thing. <laughs> but uh, until until college. But, yeah, so I've done both of them for a long time. Yeah. Where do you do stand-up in Utah? 
There's not many places, and it makes me really sad, actually. Um, so there's I imagine there's called... more improv uh, opportunities. Yeah, there is. Uh, at least in the area that I'm at. No, really in all of Utah, there's more improv. Um, so I perform improv at this place called Comedy Sports, which is a chain that's in multiple cities uh, in the U.S. And they have a stand-up night like once a month, and I do that. There's a, there's a club at... Um, at BYU, that's a stand-up club called Humor U. Okay. So I do stand-up there as well. And then there's pretty much just one main stand-up club in Utah, in Salt Lake. And so I'm going to try in the fall to try to get more involved in that. And I think I'll do all, all right based on what I've seen from them um, and what I feel like I can offer. There's actually one more stand-up place that just opened, but they're, they, they, try, they do these one-hour specials that they film. Um, for this uh, media company called VidAngel, which is like this clean uh, video editing type company or whatever, but they're trying to do original content now, okay. along with a lot of comedy specials. So I'm really hoping, hoping because I have some connections there, that maybe within a year is my goal, try to see if I can get a hour special there. So. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. So it sounds yeah. like you have to have a finished product ready to go. You can't go there and work stuff out. You just have to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The tricky part about stand-up, though, is that, I mean, for most most places, um, like, five minutes is about your cutoff. Right. And like, that's pretty good. Three to so five minutes. An hour special. Puts, where are you going to go to figure out how to put all that together? Yeah, exactly. Like, it takes a lot of writing, and, and, I, and I have to figure all that out because uh, I wouldn't want to have one of those specials where it's like, if you see the first five minutes, it's not at all connected to the last five minutes. Like, I would want it to be a full production. Yeah, you want, like, a through line and everything. Do you do, exactly. do, you do stand-up when you travel? Do you go to, like, Mike's in Portland, or did you go in Idaho? No, um, I have not. I've never... I don't think I've ever really thought about that. Maybe I'll bring that up to Lindsay and see what she thinks. Yeah, I, I would I think I brought it up that. once to... I brought it up when last time we visited New York and Boston, but we just didn't have time, and mm -hmm. we're usually seeing family... And so it's kind of tough to, like, say goodbye to family to go do something personal when they live across the country and stuff, so. Yeah, I understand that. But I, I do recommend that you maybe make some time to do that next time you travel. Just go try it out in a you, different city. You maybe just changed my life. <laughs> I hope I did. Uh, okay, let's see. Oh, you're also writing, right? Are you, are you working with Andrew Chomings and Matt McSee on something? Yeah, I have a couple different things that I'm writing, actually. So I'm writing with them. We're writing a sitcom that we're working on. Um, it's been slower going than I think any of us three wanted it to be, unfortunately. But um, we're at the tail end of it, but we've been at the tail end of it for like the last month, it feels like. <laughs> okay. so Figuring yeah. out how to wrap anyway. this thing up. Yeah, like it's all written. It just has to be... We wrote too much as a thing. You know, we've got to cut back. and Anyway... Right. So we're we're writing that, and it's a sitcom. We're hoping to finish that, and then Andrew has some connections that he's hoping to pitch it to. I really like it. It's a fun thing. I've never written a sitcom before, um, so that's cool. And then I have a another TV show, which is like a a topical social issues uh, type show, kind of a, a John Oliver, Colbert Report, Daily oh, yeah. Show type. I remember you mentioning thing. that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so we just pitched it to um, to a station, and they really liked it, and so they're going to move us to the next step, which is exciting. So we have 
So their steps are basically you pitch it to one person. If they like it, then they will take it to their committee for new content. If the committee for new content likes the idea, then they will green light it for um, for a one for one episode for a pilot. And then if the pilot tests well, then they will green light it for a season. And so we've moved past the first step. The person said they liked it a lot. They just need a budget from us, and then we're supposed to come back at the beginning of July. Um, and they That's will so pitch weird. it to committee. How are you going to know what the budget is? You're the writer. Yeah. So we've had to like reach out to a lot of um, connections. And when I say we, I mostly mean um, the person who is gunning for executive producer. Yeah. So uh, Alicia, who is fantastic. So she's got some good connections. So she's trying to figure out cost. It should be a re- relatively cheap show. We've also tested it like uh, with five different episodes. And all episodes tested really, really well with our audience across age groups from uh, 18 to 65 and so we feel pretty confident about it so yeah it's really exciting it's probably the it's probably the most promising work that I've ever had in my life that's exciting so, and fantastic stuff who's, yeah we'll see what happens who's the anchor on this thing so he is a guy that I perform improv with at this place called Improv Broadway which is a fantastic place. He started. He started Improv Broadway, and I love performing there. It's, it's really good. I think when people hear improv, they kind of think of it in the same way when your buddy's like, "Yeah, hey, I got a local band." Like, or <laughs> yeah. you're like, "Oh, yeah." So you kind of you like choose to do something kind of crappy every week, is like the the feeling. But we've had people come out from L.A. and from New York who've seen Second City, and um, or, or uh, oh, what's Groundlings or. Or all sorts of places uh, in Chicago too, in Second City. But people have come from all those different places, and they've seen us. And we've had people from all those places say that they really, really liked it. And we had one person who came from LA who said it was the best improv she'd ever seen. So I feel really proud of the production we put on there. Um, but Zach is the owner, and yeah, so he's kind of the he's the lead anchor guy. So very charismatic, much more handsome than myself. So I think he. We'll do a great job. How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it. That's so exciting. And I'm rooting for you. I'm in your corner on this one. Yeah, it's one step further than the last show I pitched got. So, <laughs> so that's exciting. The last one they saw it and they were like, mm, I, don't, I don't think we need this. So the fact that at least this one, the first person saw it and was like, I really like this a lot. This definitely needs to go to committee. It's okay. one step further and that much more practice under my belt. And I got paid as head writer for a while, so I got it's my first like real paid writing gig. Oh, I'm so happy neat. for you, man. Thanks. Um, so where do you where do you see your your writing and your your entertainment taking you in in the next few years? I, I guess this might be it, right? This might be where you're going. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if we if we got picked up, there's a good possibility. Like, I well, I mean, if we got picked up, I would definitely just do that Um, yeah you would would quit your HR job and focus on this right oh for sure yeah Yeah, that would be the dream Um, actually before we even moved to Florida when I was talking when Lindsay and I were discussing I was freaking out I was like I don't know if I should do a PhD or should I do the MBA she was like well what is your dream job and I said honestly it'd be like being a writer for John Oliver or something like that yeah so you you made your own show where you can be a writer for a John Oliver type show yeah so now it's like in the process yeah. Um, and I, and I have a hard time like speaking it up too much because it could fall flat. Right. But I still wrote some stuff, and I still feel proud of what has come so far. Yeah, I mean um, that's always a possibility that it's going to fall through. But even in the process, I'm sure you've learned a yeah. lot 
And uh, oh, a ton. Well, whatever happens, you're you're going to be better positioned than you were in the past. Yeah. So I think uh, as far as like the future goes, like I'm getting my MBA with the plan on. Um, I'm I'm maybe going to see if I can get some internships with with places like Paramount so that I would always have a connection with just movie industry, even if it's not related to writing or anything. Yeah. But live in a place that hopefully would give me an opportunity to write if I, if I wanted to. Um, and then just do what I, I've been doing my whole life, which is writing more and performing more and getting better at it. And, uh, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Cause it's like, it, like, life for me at least has been this constant debate of like what am I capable of mm-hmm. and what do I love so it's always like am I good enough to actually do this professionally and there's sometimes where you watch shows like The Big Bang Theory and you're like oh I can definitely write comedy professionally like, <laughs> this is a this is a terrible production um, but but it's so competitive that there's other times that you just you hear these stories of stand-up comedians who are like yeah it took 20 years of sleeping on a blow-up mattress until I could finally make it. Yeah, so and you can I have the skills, that way. which you sound like you do, but you still have to put in a ton of work, and you have to have a yeah. little bit of luck. Yeah, and I don't want to sleep on a blow-up mattress for 20 years. I don't so. want that for you either. Well, I mostly don't want that for your wife. That would suck for her. <laughs> yeah, so I'm hoping that what comes of it is uh, I can I can keep pushing both. Because I usually try to stay pretty busy. I'm a busy guy. I hope I can just keep pushing both and writing comes through in one shape or another. Keep pushing. And I'm with you. I'll help as much as I can. Whatever I can do to help. Although it's probably just being like, woo, Adam, go for it. But, yeah. Putting me on this podcast and pushing me towards fame is, is probably going to be the thing that finally breaks me. This is going to go out to at least 250 million people. So nice. you're well positioned now. <laughs> The reach that Apple Podcasts have for whatever it is, All right. is so incredible. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you one more question. Then I'm going to go to the bathroom because okay. I've been holding it for a long time. And then um, we're going to get into our Twitter questions. I've seen you fidget a little bit more questions. within these last ten. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Sometimes my bladder is making me fidget. All right. So I'm going to ask you one more thing. And I'm going to go to the bathroom. So And then we're going we're gonna to answer questions from our friends after that. Okay? I'll, I'll, I'll give them the reins. Uh, okay. So... Uh, my last question is for you. Although I have more, I'm just skipping a bunch because we've had such a nice conversation. It's kind of flowed, so I appreciate that. All right. So, what are your, what are your, who are some of your favorite comedians? Uh, and this could be like stand-up comedians or um, actors, or it could even be people that you read on Twitter that you like. And maybe in this case, it's best to stay away from your friends because there's always a chance you could exclude somebody. But who are some of your yeah. influences as far as comedy goes? Um, favorite comedians are Louis C.K., which uh, is like everybody's favorite comedian right now, right? Um, I really like Bo Burnham quite a bit. I think he's great. Um, I really like Hannibal Burris a lot. He's written quite a few things that I think are really funny. Um, like 30 Rock was great and Broad City's great. I haven't watched as much of that as I wish I could. But, um, yeah, those are some of my favorite stand-ups. Uh... I will mention, because I'm always very upfront about this, My the person who I think is the funniest person on Twitter is um, at Suge Knight. So Sugar. Allison! Yeah, she's so funny to me. And we've hung out quite a few times because she's from Utah as well. Uh, but yeah, I think she's the funniest person 
on Twitter easily. And one of the funniest people I've ever met. So, yeah. Cool. All right, bud. Thanks for sharing that. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Don't listen too closely. And then we're going to ask, <laughs> answer some questions from our friends. All right, I'll be right back. Okay. Cool. Hey, it's me again. That's it for today. Uh, tune in next week. Adam is going to answer your questions, and that will be part two of the Making Friends podcast with Adam Browd. Plenty more to come, so stay tuned. Ta-ta for now.